There is so much investment in healthcare right now. What is healthcare? They now have to understand. They have to be involved and they have to be engaged. Hello and welcome to the RevTech RX podcast powered by Streamline. I'm David Kozlowski and today we're at the HFMA annual conference and I am guested by Jody Stewart, the SVP of client success at Streamline. Hi, David. Thanks for coming today. And we also have Ian Sullivan, who is a senior director at HealthRise. Yeah. How's it going? It's going good. Thanks for being here today. Today, we're going to be going over the top five things to prevent denial. So Jody and Ian have brought a list of things that they want to go over that they believe are the top five things. Why don't we start from the top? Do you mind going first, Jody? No, I'm happy to do so. All right, let's start knocking it out. All right. Well, I definitely, I think with technology certainly plays a big role in denials management and a pre-built auditing tool is an excellent way to, you know, tr- take a look at those um, potential denials and address them up front before the bill goes out the door. I realize that's kind of, that's kind of a shift from what hospitals have been doing. You know, historically we do everything after the fact and we do you know, take a look at a sample of things. But I think if you can possibly get some technology to help you do that before it goes out the door, there's a real advantage to that. Yeah. Before you go, Ian, is the, the pre-built auditing, would you say that is only technology-driven or is this, can this be done manually? Or mm, There's probably too much to do. I mean, you could do it potentially manually, um, but definitely you'd want to focus. You certainly wouldn't be able to do everything, but you'd focus on those on the inpatient side, for example, on those DRGs where you know that you're seeing a high level of denials or mistakes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I would say another big thing too, this sounds rather simple, but um, I guess surprising that a lot of, uh, I feel like revenue cycle systems at hospitals don't really pay as close attention to it as possible is understanding payer contracting and also kind of the behavior of the payer. Um, I remember when we would support some health systems and they would get a certain type of denial back from the payer. Let's say it's timely filing. They would take it and say, oh, I got to write it off. It's timely filing. Um, But someone had to ask the question, well, is it timely filing? Is that actually what the payer contract says? And they may say, well, I had it 10 years ago. That's what the contract said then. Little do we find out that contracts are updated every year. New contract language says timely filing is X amount of days instead of Y amount of days. And so um, one gap that we've seen a lot of is from a revenue cycle perspective, do we really understand what payer contracts we have in place? Uh, Because that will really dictate that payer behavior that happens. A lot of times we'll just take that remittance advice from the payer and then just kind of take that as Bible. But in reality, it's up to us to challenge it. You know, they're a large system just like our health organizations are. They may make mistakes. They may not have updated contract language in place. Uh, and so one big thing to help prevent denials is can you do a nice synergy between payer strategy? So the team that will manage the contracts um, and uh, make sure that they're updated, have the contract negotiations with the, with the payer, um, as well as revenue cycle, the actual team that's going to be billing the claims, um, you know, adjudicating them and so forth. So really being able to understand that and communicate that to your team is, is very good, or a big way of preventing denials. Yeah. Fair enough. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going to go on number two. We're going to try to rapid fire some of these. Okay. Just get through it. So that way we're not here for 45 minutes, right? <laughs> Jody, what is number two? Number two for me was being sure that you have a current and, up, and an updated CDM. You know, you'd be surprised how often facilities aren't updating that CDM routinely or they just, you know, they need a charge for something and they get that in there, but it's not necessarily accurate. And then you end up with mistakes on the bill because on the back end because you didn't have the the correct charge to begin with. Yeah, no, for sure. That actually ties into mine, which was Uh establish a revenue integrity team, which in some ways is similar. The revenue integrity team and revenue cycle will manage the CDM, so the charge description master, as Jody mentioned. Um, but then also we'll focus on potentially pre-bill edits, optimizing revenue, ensuring late charges are um, you know, being added to the claim appropriately. Um, so some health systems are newer to this. I would say that 
as some of these newer HIS systems like Epic and some of the other EMRs that are in place, they do really encourage you to have a revenue integrity team. It's a, in a nutshell, a team that makes sure the you know integrity of the revenue is there. Um, but what they really do is they look at the CDM, they say, okay, is it falling on the claim correctly? Is it updated? Is it maintained appropriately? Um, because just like payer contracting, if those things aren't updated on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, um, you're going to be sending out claims that are with the incorrect modifiers, maybe with the incorrect charge, mm-hmm. uh, maybe they're falling on the claim inappropriately. So that revenue integrity team is really that team that can say, hey, I'm here to make sure that the revenue reconciliation is happening, that the charges that are falling on the claim are going appropriately. Uh, and then all of our departments that are charging are making sure that they're, they don't have late charges. Because that's also another big thing with denials mm-hmm. is that um, if you don't have someone looking at that revenue on a consistent basis, um, you might not see the fluctuations in charging that happen, which could e- clearly indicate a miss in you know, volumes being down. It could indicate a miss in charging protocols at the clinic. Um, so it's, it's a very important thing that's often overlooked. So you, you mentioned revenue integrity team. This is not the first time we've heard the term revenue integrity team on, on the podcast. If you had a pro tip of setting that up, what would it be? If you're setting up a revenue integrity team, you got to start with the CDM. Um, but you want to have your team with a, diversify, a diversity of talent. So sometimes you'll have registered nurses on there because they want to make sure that they can actually review the charges, understand uh, the clinical documentation and so forth. And then you might want a complex denials person who can really understand how to work denials because that partnership of clinical denials knowledge and then CDM knowledge, mm-hmm. that, that those three together, that will help you really build up a revenue integrity team. And I would add to that because my next one is having a multidisciplinary team yeah. as well. So, you know, I would add patient access for sure. You know, mm-hmm. when you think about pre-authorizations and things, potentially a physician champion, mm-hmm. we have them be involved on the team as well to help guide things. Um, utilization review, potentially compliance and legal. And it's not like all these folks have to be under the same umbrella necessarily. But as long as they work and communicate together, um, I think that that's the ideal team to have in place. Yeah. No, it's and it's probably not... Um, unique in healthcare. I mean, I'm sure it's across all industries, but you'll have departments that are generally siloed uh, because they're focused on their work. Right. And in healthcare, especially, it's challenging because the expertise in departments greatly differ, right? You'll have clinical mm-hmm. that will spend years in school for medical school. Then you'll have billing and, and, and denials and follow-up that will also spend years in school, but they're just, they're not talking the same language many of the time. So if you can have that interdisciplinary team, if you can have people that can speak both languages to one another, that's really how you can optimize the revenue from there yep it's good and since you already gave your three i know let's go let's go perfect um yeah so another thing we were talking about being proactive rather or yeah proactive rather than reactive uh so one big thing is implementing uh, a developed pre-service team so hospitals are going this way um, a lot of times they're centralizing their pre-service team so that team you know um is really focused on when a uh, patient comes in and has their services, they'll have to get a prior authorization on a lot of those, right? Uh, if not, the patient will get their service and then the insurance company won't pay the bill because you have to notify the insurance company. You have to say, hey, this person's coming in for X, Y, and Z um, and it's medically necessary based off this documentation. Blue Cross will say, great, it's authorized. The patient can, can be seen. Um, a lot of hospitals, if they don't have that developed pre-service team to kind of lead that communication, what ends up happening is you have a patient come in with no authorization you get a denial from the insurance company and the insurance company says, no, nope, I'm not going to cover it and uh, you can't get an authorization now. You're supposed to get it beforehand, mm-hmm. which is the rules of the contract. So that's a, a mess in the hospital. 
But if you, um, so if you let that go, you'll have a problem there. But there's also this thing called a delay defer policy that a lot of pre-service teams put in, which says, hey, if 48 hours to the service being rendered, if we don't have a prior authorization, we're going to actually delay the service. So we're going to, res- if you're a patient and you've gotten rescheduled a few times by a hospital, chances are the authorization wasn't in place. Um, and they're going to reschedule you to a week later or something like that. Some hospitals won't do that um, because it's a challenge. You have to have the leadership from a clinical and a revenue cycle perspective to analyze the situation and say, hey, can I delay it? Is it medically appropriate to delay mm-hmm. it? Um, and if so, then I will delay it because I'm going to lose revenue. So that pre-service team will help guide the ship in that regard. But then also like from the interdisciplinary perspective, we'll help have that conversation with the clinical to say, okay, Let's work together. Is this appropriate? Should we delay? Should we not? Um, and then the last thing I'll say about them, and it goes to the payer contracting, you have to understand the payer contracting. A lot of times you'll see systems use grids that say these services for this insurance company need an up prior authorization, but it's a grid on a piece of paper. There's just no way someone can manage that and update that on a, on a yearly basis. The HIS systems now have those grids mm-hmm. in place that you can do, but you'll need a team to help manage that. And a pre-service team can be that conduit, can help say, hey, let me review that every year to make sure those authorizations and those CPT codes are still up to date. Well, and I think, too, what's really important, you mentioned it's lost revenue for the organization, but that's also lost you know, money out of that patient's pocket if you go ahead and, yeah. and move forward with a service that hasn't been authorized and then they end up paying it. And, you know, that's... That's just difficult for them as well. Yeah, no, I think patient care needs to be seen as also a financial perspective. Mm-hmm. And when you just dump a large bill on a patient that they thought was going to be covered, that is, you know, you know, adversely affecting patient care. Oh, absolutely. And it's, it's a PR issue. Right. I mean, yeah. as well. Oh, for sure. No, it's, uh, it is. You're right. Yeah. 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 I've got some follow-up questions, but I'm going to save them to the end because I want to make sure we get through the, the five. Okay. Um, but... Did you give number four for you? Did I hear that correctly? The I got two more. I got okay. All right, one, two, and three. Yeah. So Jody, I got two more. So yes, right. and so <laughs> and so talking about referrals and authorizations, yeah. I think too what we saw uh, with COVID coming into play was there are more services that patients are coming in for that you're not able to obtain a prior authorization for. Mm-hmm. So for example, a lot of outpatient elective procedures were put on hold and the number of patients admitted, you know, through the emergency department or direct admits, you know, to med surge increased and you can't really obtain a prior authorization or or go through some of that paperwork to to determine if something needs to be done. So I think that that also has influenced um, denials and yeah. in what people are saying. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And and uh, yeah, this is great. It's like we we prep these together. That's a great way because what you do is then if you can optimize your HIS system, which would be yes. my next point, um, you can have a little bit more of a better tracking system of those authorizations, right? So, um, you know, everyone is aware of the big EMR systems that are out there and they implement, but then you hear these stories of them being implemented. And then a few years later, um, you find out that they're not really using the tool maybe to its fullest capabilities. Um, and so one thing that, um, you know, you want to make sure you empower the revenue cycle team to do is to look at all that functionality that that tool has and be able to optimize it. So from an authorization perspective, there's so much logic, so many lo- so much logic in many of these systems uh, that you can automate, that you can easily automatically send it to a certain work list for an uh, individual to work based off of the CPT code, the, um, the insurance plan, and stuff like that. And so I think one big way to, to prevent it is just to look at the system that you have today, talk to the subject matter experts that you have there, and say, hey, here's my problem. Can I create an automation here? And a lot of the times you'll find out a creative solution that you can. It might take some you know, extra resources to get that done, 
Uh, but you'd be surprised to find out how much um, how much is still manual even in these kind of advanced EMRs today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The last one, and then I, I really now definitely have follow up questions based <laughs> off that one. But yeah. I want to get through them. Uh, your last one. My last one. So you know KPIs. You know, and that's, you know, actionable insights from, you know, all the data that's collected. And there's so much data in the, mm-hmm. in the help, you know, in the information systems um, that you can get out of that. And it's helpful. I mean, obviously, but you don't want to just collect data to look at that, you know, to refine it and understand yeah. what those KPIs are. So, um, you know, that could be, you know, your top, obviously your top denials and then providing education and things to follow through that. And maybe it's a different process for, mm-hmm. for that process what it might be um payer specific denials i mean i'm not saying anything i'm sure that you haven't heard before but you know some of those things right and no i think you're you're totally right and i think what's important too is to understand how those kpis or this performance indicators relate to the financial statements too Mm -hmm. right if we're talking about interdisciplinary discussions um how do i talk as a revenue cycle person to a cfo to say hey these kpis impact your bad debt and operational write-offs because that's you know that's probably the language they're most Correct. Focused on that, that revenue leakage. So, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, that's great. Yeah, um, yeah. So my last one, we've touched on it at a high level, I guess. But one of the departments that I think there's always um, just such a strong partnership. If, if you can have such a strong partnership, you can really um, drive down denials. Is between case management and revenue cycle. Um, so we touched upon case management, mm-hmm. utilization review. Generally, that concurrent review that happens at the hospital. Um, it's that clinical review that will happen to basically ping the payer to say, hey, here's an inpatient stay. How many days is it authorized based off mm-hmm. the interqual and so forth? Um, having that partnership with case management and revenue cycle can really help mitigate those, those authorization denials. A lot of times they might not even see the claim go out the door and they might not even realize that the claim went out the door and it was denied. Sometimes you can actually hold the bill work the concurrent denial or work the concurrent mm-hmm. review and then send the claim out the door and avoid the 30 to 45 day rework to, to get the claim paid. So, so all right, let's, I want to, I've got a recap in a, in, a, in a sense here, but I want to touch on a couple things. So one is, uh, you mentioned when you convert over to a new EMR, you have all these like gaps that you notice later on down the road and you want to work to fix those. How can you prevent that? from the get-go and, and start to implement it the day you convert? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, and, and to be clear, some, some systems can obviously do it very successfully. But um, yeah, you always have to do a readiness kind of effort towards a, a lack of a better word, but we, at least, you know, my, in, my company likes to call it a readiness effort, right? And so generally at least a year, maybe six months, six months to a year prior to the implementation of your new system, um, you know, you'll have the team come from that system and they'll work with you on getting ready and helping you get there. But um, it makes their job a lot easier for that you know, new EMR to come in if you have your current state workflows documented. If you understand all of your processes, if you understand what's manual, what's automated, um, if you understand you know, which, which services are centralized versus are at ancillary departments. Because a lot of the times what happens as you go onto a new system is you start to realize things that you didn't know right away. That you didn't realize that, oh, this, this, you know, our billing team actually does a lot manual for this one payer. Um, it turns out it's because it wasn't in the contract that they should be an electronic payer or something like mm-hmm. that, right? So um, what you really can do is the six months to a year prior, of course, partnering with that electronic medical record group that will come in, but at the same time, helping make their job a little easier. Get all that documentation down. Understand what's going on so that when they do come in, you can start to say, hey, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I want to do. Where's my gap? 
Jeez. right? And once the gap's identified, it's on you to execute. Yeah. You know, everyone can tell you what to do, but unless you execute on that, it's going to be some revenue leakage at the time of implementation. So we're, we're talking about all these different areas of opportunity, right, in the hospital. And specifically, I know the, the revenue cycle team or uh, excuse me, the revenue integrity team that we're building. What if you come to me and I say, we just don't have the time. Like, what, how do you respond to that? Like, I'm sure you guys have been many of hospitals are like, yeah, we can't do that. We just don't have the bandwidth or the ability to do it. Do you just say, well, then you're going to continue to have denials? What, what is another, how do you work with that? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I can answer first. So I think my, my whole philosophy, I would say, is understanding the common language. So they might not have bandwidth or capacity. Um, but then I ask, okay, what are your goals right now? And I try to find, the, you know, we, we talk about the goals. And all the, most of the time, right, if, especially if it's with a conversation with the CFO, They'll say bad debt, operational write-offs. They'll say some type of leakage, which is an indicator for their financial statement success. Um, and then I will have to draw the correlation to say, okay, you might not have time, but guess what? These denials are causing this many operational write-offs, and it's resulting in this much revenue leakage. So either I could bring someone in at a cost that could still keep you an ROI, or we could try to train the team here to do that. You know, whatever makes the most mm-hmm. sense. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. But it's really saying, how can I break this down mathematically to say these key indicators that revenue cycle is measuring affects your bottom line. And that's really the biggest thing I would say that we do. Jody, what taxes yeah. do you have? Well, and I would completely agree. And, and I was going to say, just as you mentioned, it doesn't have to be the hospital's team. I mean, truly, if they are, you know, overwhelmed with things that are going on, there certainly are vendors out there that can help with this type of service for sure. Yes. And, they, and they can help lift, do the heavy lifting to get this program started and then, you know, turn it over and do some training. Or, you know, they could do it on an ongoing basis if that's what works best for that organization. Yeah, sure. and, I, and I think an accurate assessment of the situation, too. You know, you'll get people come in and say, hey, you can get all this, right? But until you actually look at the CDM, mm-hmm. and this, if we're talking about revenue integrity, look at the CDM, maybe look at the pricing language and say, hey, you're operating at this and you could be operating here. here. Like we did an assessment. Right. You know, a lot of vendors will do that for free or mm-hmm. like a significantly reduced cost. Um, we can promise you this ROI. Mm-hmm. Like let's partner to get that done. Yeah. Otherwise, we're going to have to deal with that afterwards. And, you know, it's just it's always harder afterwards mm-hmm. because then you're saying, well, what did we do before? Yeah. And now the team there is like, well, I don't remember. You know, this is, that was a different team. This is a new team now. Right. So you want to try to get that nipped in the bud. Okay. One last question before we do a full, a full recap is you mentioned the case management and revenue cycle partnership. Why isn't there one today? Like, is there friction between these two teams constantly? Like, what's, what's the gap? I, you know, I, I think from my experience, it's, again, the expertise. So case management is a very clinically driven department. Um, there are many, many, a lot of them are registered nurses. There are some that maybe aren't, but for the most part, they come from a nursing clinical background. Um, and then the revenue cycle does not generally come from a nursing clinical background. So um, case managers will always work with patients. They will be with patients. They are the, you know, they do an excellent job of making the patient feel safe and feeling comfortable in the, um, in the hospital. So now all of a sudden, from a revenue cycle perspective, you're tacking on and say, hey, let's think financially too. So it's just a challenge because it's an extra step. And there, I mean, I think all the case management teams I've worked with are always willing to do it, but someone has to kind of come in and educate them on what to do because their big focus is the patient care, and as it should be. But with the way reimbursement works in the hospital system, we've got to have a partnership to help get that done. Yeah. It's just a shift in thinking, yeah. you know, from thinking, you know, I'm not thinking about I'm providing direct patient care and wearing that hat versus, well, I'm going to add this other element to it. And sometimes that can be hard because you're thinking, no, I just want to care about the patient. I don't want this right. other complication. But I think if you educate them, they'll really understand that it does benefit the patient 
you know, for their financial re- responsibility to help them with that. And it's also, I think, silos too. And we've talked yeah. about that. You know, it can be really difficult in hospitals. They're such busy places. Sometimes you end up with the silos. And so these people aren't necessarily talking to each other. And so that may be why there isn't a natural um, tie between the two areas. Sure. Yeah. Well, let's hope some hospitals listen to this and get some good feedback from it. And it can start aligning a lot of these things. If you were to summarize one through five, Jody, what would you say? You know, do the best that you can at each of these items. And it's not like a, you don't have to do a big bang theory and do everything at once. Start small and then start building your program. But definitely communication and multi, you know, work with all the areas in your hospital. Don't leave anybody out. Yeah. yeah. No, exactly. I think transparency into the way things happen or the way things work, payer behavior, the way the system works, the way revenue cycle works, um, and also education. I mean, I think we want to drive the results in our department. But we can drive the results better in our department if we educate others on how it works and help them be better in their departments. And I think that's, like you were saying, the shift in mindset. It's just a shift that's happening, I think. How can we get everyone in the same room and talk about it? Even if I'm not a nurse and you're going to talk to me about clinical documentation for 20 minutes, that's fine. I'll sit there and try to understand as much as I can, but I'll educate them on how it impacts financially and we'll come to a a better understanding, I think. That's great. Well said. Well, thanks so much for being on, Jody Ian. Thank you all for listening and watching. Please subscribe to the podcast for all information related to revenue cycle in the healthcare space. Again, I'm David Kozlowski. You're listening to the RevTech RX podcast powered by Streamline. Take care.